Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody today. You can clap. Let's just celebrate. We're in God's presence together. Hey, you know, before we jump into the message, uh, which is, this is part three of the table, uh, I'd like us to just take a moment and pray together and uh, pray, pray for the world that we're living in, but in particular for the nation of Israel. Um, as Christians, we share a very unique and precious connection to God's people, Israel. We just do. Uh, by faith in Jesus, who was first Jewish, uh, we, we are tied in to the seed of Abraham. And, and God's word calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in particular. And so I think we ought to just take a moment and do that together. So why don't you pray with me? God, thank you that you've invited us to pray in particular, your word says, for the peace of Jerusalem. And so we do. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, uh, we, we, we are not personally maybe all that uh, aware of all of the intricate details of, uh, of, of everything going on, but we want to pray, God, that you would allow a peace to come. We really do. And, and where there are operations afoot right now um, to bring defense, we pray, God, that you'd empower the work of, of those who are fighting to defend Israel. And Lord, we pray that in the end, Lord, that there would, uh, there would be a reigning of your peace. And so, God, even right now, we, uh, we pray for believers in the Middle East, God, that uh, you would protect individual mothers and fathers and children who are believing in you and crying out to you, God. We pray for your covering of protection, Lord. And even as there is a, a, the iron dome on a military front, God, we pray for a spiritual dome of protection for your people Israel, God, that you protect your saints in the land. Lord, your, your word calls that land a blessed holy land. And Lord, we pray that uh, in your favor and covering that your peace would rain down rather than whatever else is being rained down now. So Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the, the nation and the people of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, again, it's week three of At the Table. And so what we're doing in this series is we're uh, diving into the scriptures where Jesus has uh, been sitting down at the table with people and, and watching what happens there. Because we all know that sometimes things happen at, at a table that can change us. And what we see in the scriptures is that is what takes place. And so we're going to take some time now to, uh, to go into the scriptures. But, but, uh, but first, uh, to set this up, uh, there's, a, there's a book that was written uh, by John Ortberg back in the day. And he, he tells the story of this, uh, this wealthy Fortune 500 CEO, right? And, and so this guy's got uh, you know, a, a beautiful you know, Ferrari or whatever, and he's driving up in the Silicon Valley out towards Napa or something, and needs to get gas. So he and his wife pull into a little gas station and, and the, uh, the thing's not working, so he has to go inside and pay. Meanwhile, uh, this guy who works at the gas station comes over and starts uh, talking to his wife who's in the car. He's inside paying and then he comes out and he sees his wife is deep in conversation with this, with this guy and he recognizes that guy. 
that guy, he recognizes him. And it turns out that, that that was a guy who his wife used to date back in high school. And so he sees the conversation taking place and he kind of chuckles to himself with a little swagger and uh, he gets in the car and they speed off into the night and he's kind of chuckling with a little bit of swagger smile still. And he goes, I, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're glad that you married me. The, Fortune 500 CEO guy, rather than gas station guy, huh? And she's like, no, actually what I was thinking is if I had married that guy, he would be a Fortune 500 CEO and you would be a gas station guy. That's what I was thinking. It's a silly story, but I love it because it kind of highlights the reality that all of us could benefit every once in a while from a good, solid dose of humility. And to recognize and to remember that the origin of the goodness that may be taking place in our lives isn't us, that God is at work. And we have, a, a, I would say, a good ambition to want to do great things out in the world and to make something great out of our lives. And I think there's nobility in that. There's divine favor in that. It's good. This world needs Christians that would rise up and get out there and build a great business or become the leader of a department or a whole organization, do it in, in, in a godly way. This world needs people who will, who will invent things and then rise up and become the, the, the best of the best of the doctors and nurses and teachers and contractors and deal makers and everything in between. And yes, that ambition is healthy and good, but what this world needs even more is people who will do everything I just said, but do it in a way that is God-honoring and marked by the character of Christ, and in particular, humility. Amen. And the scriptures say this, the scriptures say in Matthew chapter 16 that there is goodness to be had, but there's a way about it that we go about this different. It says in Matthew 16, 25, Jesus' words, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What do you benefit if, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything as valuable as your soul? Like this is Jesus kind of rattling our cage a little bit, saying, yeah, okay, you're going after it, making it happen, doing something big and important, all right. But what about your spirit within you? And are you going about those great things in a way that brings honor and glory to God? Because that's what we get to do. As Christian people, that's what we get to do, is we get to find out how to pursue the greatness that God would have for us, but to do it in a way in which we are willing to, to go low so that we are able to be in the heights with our Heavenly Father. My message, if I just sum it up in, in one phrase today, is I go low so love can flow. It's just simply that. I go low so love can flow. I want you to try saying that with me one time. I go low so love can flow. Say it again. I go low so love can flow. I'm hoping that this would be something that isn't just a, a sentence on a screen, but that this would actually become a way of life, a way of living for you and me. That we would say, that's how I want to do it. I go low so love can flow. It's because we're followers of Jesus. And he's the one who set this out for us as the model to go low so love can flow. And so I want us to take some time to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 14 right now. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 14, this part of the Bible 
in the Gospel of Luke is, it's, it's a stretch in which Jesus is bringing life-changing teaching in moment after moment and breakthrough miracles moment after moment. And in this part of the Bible, Jesus is on a roll, man, and people are following him. People are discovering his goodness and by the hundreds and then by the thousands, they are, they are clamoring to get close to him. And, and they are they're eager to see if maybe they could get him to come speak in their synagogue. Or maybe he would come to their town. Or even better yet, maybe come to their house. And it was everybody. I mean, it was everybody from the fishermen all the way to the, 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 the very important religious leaders and everyone in between. And they're eager to get some time with Jesus. And that's exactly what happens in Luke chapter 14. And it's an at-the-table moment that God's got something for all of us in. So we turn there to, uh, to Luke chapter 14, verse 1. So one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And when they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? I mean, if your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. This, okay, so here it is. It's, it's, a, it's a dinner party. It's very important people, these religious leaders. And Jesus is kind of the guest of honor. And when the guest of honor comes into this very important gathering with very important Jewish religious leaders, there's, there's kind of a protocol and there's an awareness that Jesus has as he looks across the room that there's, there's a guy over here who's sick, and he's so obviously sick that he can see that his body is swollen. And what would be appropriate for the guest of honor at this religious Jewish leader's gathering to do would actually be to avoid that man. Why? Because he's obviously sick. He may be ceremonially unclean. This is the Sabbath. You avoid that guy. But what does Jesus do? What does love look like? What Jesus does is instead of just sticking with the very important people and and avoiding that sick guy over there, what Jesus does instead is, is he goes right over to this guy who's sick, so obviously sick, and Jesus goes low in this moment. It may be not obvious to everyone here, but he's walking away from the very important religious leaders and stepping right up close to this obviously sick guy and paying attention to him because that's what love does. When we go low, we allow honor and power and love to flow where it's needed. And so Jesus goes right over to this guy and he asks the question. He says, hey, so is it written that we shouldn't heal this man on the Sabbath? And Jesus loves the Lord and he loves the Torah and the word of God, but he's calling them on it because the truth is there's nothing in the Torah about not healing the sick on the Sabbath. And Jesus knows that. And so he calls them out on it. And then it just simply says, he heals the man and sends him on his way. Did you notice how quickly that happened? It's kind of striking, right? He just heals him and sends him on his way. (laughs) And and this is something I love about Jesus is that for, for him to bring a touch of his healing power doesn't necessarily take a whole lot of fanfare, but it's a moment that happens. And by the way, 
part of why we, at Center Point, we, we want to always make a place for healing the sick, praying for healing and seeing healing come to the sick is because it's just kind of part of who Jesus is. And as followers of Jesus is what we want to do. But Jesus, in this moment, he, he, he goes low by walking away from the very important people and going right up to the sick guy and healing him. He goes low so love can flow. And I think maybe it's, it's a picture of what he wants you and I to embrace. I go low so love can flow. I go low so love can flow. Say it again. I go low so love can flow. And, and your visual of this is Jesus. Jesus. I want you to just imagine it. That moment, right? And the sick guy over here, and he hasn't even said anything. But, but Jesus, because he's willing to go low, he's not just trying to think about how can I stay around all these very important people. Instead, his, his heart is going low, right into the low places where the lowly are waiting for a touch from God. And it's, that's a model of, of what kingdom life looks like, of going low. And, and you know what that sick guy needed in this moment? What that sick guy needed in this moment is he, knew he needed somebody who wasn't going to be caught up in a whole bunch of self-importance that would cause him to not want to go near. What that sick guy needed in this moment is somebody who wasn't so caught up in their own selfishness that they weren't even aware that he was in need over there. What that guy needed was somebody who wasn't, uh, wasn't caught up with a spirit of fear or timidity where he would think, oh no, I don't want to break protocol because you know, it would, it, it, he could be unclean and it could get me in trouble with the important people. What that sick guy needed is somebody who, who wasn't afraid of, of things looking a little weird because he was going to step out on a limb for a supernatural healing to take place. What that guy needed was Jesus but what about the people right around us? Can you think of some people in the world that we live in that need a touch from Jesus and maybe need for you and me who follow Jesus to take a cue from what we see in his word right now and just decide, I follow Jesus, therefore I go low so love can flow. Say it again. I go low so love can flow. And the love flowed, didn't it? Jesus went low, love flowed, breakthrough came. Supernatural healing. And it should happen through us too. It can happen through us too. Glory to God. It can happen through any single one of us. Any single one of us that would say, I'm going to go low so love can flow. And you know what? This is so Sunday. And if we're going to be people who sow, we better get willing to go low so love can flow. I put it all together. I just did that. <laughs> this, is, this is a dinner party. And we haven't even gotten to the table yet. But we understand it's a dinner table, uh, a dinner party, and now we got to see, you know, how this shakes out. So we go back to Luke chapter 14, verse 7. It says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to go sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then 
You'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to say this last part of the teaching of Jesus out loud together from the screen. Ready, go. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. One more time. Say it again with me. Get it in your heart. Go. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. When exaltation happens in the kingdom of God, when you humble yourself and you are then exalted, it isn't so that you can just get more for your goodies for yourself. It's actually, you, you are exalted in the kingdom of God so that more of God's goodness, love, and power can flow through you to absolutely anywhere it's needed. And this is God's great design for you and me, that we would be a, a mechanism of distribution of his glory, his grace, his power, and his love all over the place. But for that to happen, you and me need to be people who are walking in the spirit. And as we're walking in the spirit, we're willing to go low so love can flow. We're not so caught up in a sense of self-importance all the time that we're going to ignore the people in need. We're not going to get caught up in a, in a religious kind of a spirit that makes us walk in condemnation of people who actually need the grace and mercy of Jesus. This is a moment, I believe, that God wants to release an impartation to you. And, and so we got the teaching from Jesus about uh, wedding party seating arrangements. And maybe we don't really relate to that all that much, because, I mean, the way we do wedding seating is a little different right now. Like, recently, I went to a wedding, and you know how it goes. You kind of get into the place, and then there's like a, you know, some sort of a sign with all of the names and the table numbers, right? So I'm walking up to this thing. I'm like, oh, look at that. Okay, one, two, three. No, three, four. No. Five, six, no, seven, ten. okay, table 19, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, but there's still hope, right? Walk into the venue and I'm looking for, okay, where's table 19? Well, check, maybe, maybe it's that one right, right there by the front. Oh, no, not that one, no, not that one either. Finally, it's like, do 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 going way back until finally it's like table 19, way here in the back, like, oh, there they are, way over there. And I know at that moment exactly where I fall in the pecking order of the friendship arrangement, right? Like, there, there's something about this, though, isn't it? That, that we, we hear the teaching of Jesus, and, and we get that it, it's not really even about the wedding seating arrangements. It's more about the arrangement of your own ego. And, and can your ego be sublimated? Under the cross of Jesus, can your ego be subdued by the shed blood of Christ? Can your ego be crucified with Christ so that you can actually really live? I mean, that's really where God's taking us in his word here. And so Jesus is presenting it in terms of seating arrangements at a wedding, but then where he lands with it, is, it has nothing to do with seating at a wedding anymore. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus takes it right there from the mundane, everyday, ordinary, right into this eternal principle that we get to live by. And what he's looking for is for you and me to be people who would walk in humility, to learn how to walk humble, to live humble. But here's the deal. We get, we get in trouble with that word humble. Like we, we use it in ways that 
it, it kind of corrupts the meaning, almost like love. It gets misused and overused in, in such a way that the, the actual understanding of it gets dissipated. But, but I mean, think about it. You talk about, uh, somebody will say like, ah, uh, welcome to my humble abode. And it's like a 5,000 square foot newly built mansion, right? Or, or someone will say like, hey, you did wrong here, so you need to eat humble pie and, and admit it. And, and then humility gets corroborated with culpability somehow. Or, or we talk about, uh, uh, you know, somebody saying something and we have very strong perspectives and opinions and we know that we're right. So we say, well, in my humble opinion, this is what's correct and you're all wrong, right? And so we use this word in weird ways and then we wonder what it really even means. And so let me share with you a, a working definition. And this is not, not a dictionary definition, but an understanding from a biblical point of view of what, what being humble can, can actually be. Humility is having a, a true and deep awareness of your own value and also a true awareness of how much room you have to grow and clarity about how totally dependent on God you really are and a, a keen sense of value for other people and a default setting of throwing aside arrogance and pride whenever it's welling up in you and opting instead for looking for how you can serve other people. All of that is part of what's included in what it means to be humble, to walk in humility. And I think it's where Jesus is always leading us. Okay, so I was thinking, well, we could, we could bust into like a five-point teaching exercise about all of that. And I thought, no, we're doing that at the table. We should have a conversation. But who in the world is going to have a testimony about humility and all of that? And I know who it is, and it's Ron Randall. I want you to welcome right now up to the table, Ron Randall. Come on up, Ron. Ron Randall. So some of you don't know Ron, but I'll tell you a little bit about Ron. Ron is, uh, well, he's Rachel Hansen's father. That's his number one claim to fame. But so, so Ron has had, you know, a 30-year or so career in, in, in big, big industry, big companies, and a, a fantastic career, in fact. And, uh, and then... After that career, started a second career, basically, in ministry. It was part of the pastoral ministry team at Saddleback Church for a number of years. And now, uh, in these years of Ron's life, he's, uh, he's able to, to serve as a, a lay pastor in our church, bringing blessings to many. And he's a man of wisdom. And, and I, I can't wait for you to hear a little bit of his story. But Ron, tell, tell us, so we're talking about humility and the call from Jesus to be humble and I want you to just share a little bit of what we talked about earlier this week, your story of what, what happened for, for you to learn about being humble. Well, um, thanks, Sean, for uh, allowing me to do this. This is uh, really the first time I've ever shared it publicly. Mm. Um, and I meant to say that in the earlier service. Um, my greatest growth in humility like I said in the first service, has been probably the last three years, uh, moving here to Marietta, being retired, and um, living 
with my grand my grandchildren are here and some of my children are here and my wife is here. And the greatest bit of humility I've learned has been from Lisa. Hmm. And I think every guy needs to learn something from their wife Come in on. terms of being humble. All right. But uh, as you're getting older, you know, my grandchildren, I'm learning that there are certain things I viewed as respectability, how I want to be treated, and mm. all of this stuff. And it goes away when you got grandchildren. <laughs> Particularly when you got grandchildren who are, in their, who are teenagers. So, uh, you <laughs> okay. learn a lot of humility. But I was with a, um, a company, the Fortune 200 company. I was with them for 31 and a half years. It started as a sales rep and advanced up to, through the organization up to an area director when they were um, consolidating and moving into a one company uh, sales force. And I was given this position of an area director. I had 12 managers reporting to me and um, at one point, things hit me in such a way in my own, my personal life, uh, from the death of my mother to any number of things in my past that I've been defaulting to. And these 12 managers went to HR. Uh-oh. And um, the very things that I had been attempting to hide and thought I was doing everything I could to show what a leader I was. I was kind of doing just the opposite of that. I was being autocratic hmm. rather than serving. Hmm. And there's a difference between managing and leading. Leading is always going to take on this sense of, of service. That's why I like everything that you're saying this morning, because it really defines humility. Well, I had to go through this intervention, imagine that, <laughs> with Ouch. an executive coach. I had to sit on my hands because immediately all of us want to defend ourselves because mm -hmm. we say to ourselves, I just can't be that bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I realized I was that bad because oh. my wife told me I was that bad. <laughs> wow. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess I would, but I, she was wrong, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I went through this, then I went through six months with an executive coach with a plan. Best thing that ever happened to me um, in, in terms of that job. Um, it's amazing they would let me stay. But something changed. And I had two friends. One has passed now, but both of them said to me separately, when they're godly men, they said, Ron, God is trying to do something in your life. And you need to stay, and you need to open your eyes to see what God's going to do. Wow, wow. And God began to work in such a way that changed me, and that began to show me uh, how, in a sense, to walk in humility. What I discovered was this, John. Mm. I have no power to walk in humility. Okay. None. All right. I still don't. Mm. It takes the supernatural power of God to do that. Yes. That's it right. It kind of reminds, takes me back to Philippians 2, mm. when it describes Jesus coming um, to be our Savior. But he yeah. came as a form of a servant. Yes. But it said he came in humility. Yeah, yeah. 
That's supernatural. Yes, it is. It took a perfect man who was God to live humility for us. Mm -hmm. And so I can never expect to live humble. That has to be lived through me by mm. the power of God working through me. That's right. I can never attain to anything. You know why? Because I'd boast about it. <laughs> you know? I would. I mean, we, we boast about those are the things we attain to because that's the, the default for all of us in the flesh. We think that we can make ourselves righteous before God. Mm -hmm. Even the best of humility living through me, I can never stand before God in my righteousness. Mm -hmm. It is the righteousness of Christ Come on. that I now live in as one who has been born of the very spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So when you talk about what happened, I don't know if it was 20 years ago or what it was, but yeah, it, 23. It, it sounds, I mean, to be honest, it sounds humiliating. And I wonder if you could just yeah. talk about that a little. Like, how, how, did you, how, did you, how did it not just become humiliation instead of this learning of yeah. how to walk in humility? Well, I think that's part of the process, too. Um, well, I was living with a lot of shame. Mm. And uh, in my life, and which had followed me from my familial background all the way through when I was a manager. You know, we filter our lives through these things that are really lies, you know, mm -hmm. and we hold on to them so much. Mm. And we try to cover up, much like Adam and Eve did, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we still are like that. We cover up. And so, yeah, it's a natural feeling to feel humiliated. Mm. All of us in here have some sense of what that feels like mm. and it's happened to us. That's a fact. But there's a greater fact that transcends that. That's where we gotta get to. Okay, so you, you had this, you know, they go to HR, you've got all of the managers, you know, you're un under this investigation or whatever, review, yeah. and then what? Because then you had another, another decade and a half of, yeah. of business. Oh. What happened yeah. and how did you grow through that's, that? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that question because I didn't say that this morning. Mm -hmm. What happened to me, I was demoted mm. and eight years later, I was, I was promoted to a position that I never dreamed possible. So I ran even a bigger organization. And so, um, but it was, it was surprising to me that they did that. In fact, it was kind of shocking, really. But it wasn't shocking when I know what God did in my life. Yeah. I was just surprised that somebody else really recognized it, uh, to what extent that those who were making those kind of decisions uh, saw that in me and saw that I had become the kind of leader that uh, deserved to be in this position of responsibility again. Wow. I think what we're hearing is a living testimony of exactly what Jesus talked about. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so grateful for your sharing. And you're, you're a sage. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I think it's important, church. Like, we, we need to recognize when in our lives and in our community... There are people who are a sage, a sage, 
like bringing wisdom from many years and many hard things and many glorious things and everything in between. And I'm grateful to have, uh, to have this chance to hear from you as, I mean it, as a sage. Yeah, that's neat. And it's a, it's, it's a blessing and a gift yeah. to hear from a sage. John, can I just say just one thing, a um, couple things. Um, number one, I've never been as, to this place in my life where all of the things in my life have occurred, they've been overridden. And I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, number one. Number two, I have a great time with my wife, Lisa. And every man should aspire Mm. to have the kind of relationship that I got. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, you better pray for us. Would you pray? Would you pray, Ron, that that we would be able to live out some of what you've been talking about and enjoy the growing that God wants to do? Pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, I just hold up everyone here. um, I know the struggle of life, but certainly you know it in in a way that is perfect. For them, thank you so much that you are interested and want to be involved in every detail of our lives so thank that you. we might come to experience what, is, what it is to love you with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and then to love others as we love ourselves. We just impart to this church and, and those who are sitting here just the blessing of being in Christ Jesus, yeah. of coming to know what that life, life is. And I pray that they come to experience Galatians 2.20, that they have been crucified with That's Christ, right. yet not them, but Christ lives in them. Yeah. And the life that they now live in the flesh, they live by the faith of the Son of God. Yeah who loves them, who loved them, and gave his life for them. Mm. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. In the end, you know what I think God is inviting us to, is to receive a prophetic word. And Jesus paints this picture in this moment at the table where he concludes it by saying, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And maybe it feels upside down to us, but there's a promise in the words of Jesus regarding humility. And when we can walk humble, he does something with it. When, when we can walk in humility, humility becomes a multiplier of honor and love and power when it's directed where it's needed. And so you and I, we get to embrace the promise that is accompanying this, this word of humility. Like, for example, in Proverbs 22, 4, it says, true humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Is that not good news? Right? And some of us are going, wait a minute, but shouldn't I not want that? Our Father is just that good that he puts the promise right out there for us. I'll just read it again. True humility and the fear of the Lord, say it with me, lead to riches, honor, 
and long life. Because when you experience the exalting that God does, you know that the, that the riches and long life, that it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose of bringing the blessing and goodness and power of love of God wherever it's needed. And that's how we get to live. It's a promise. There's a calling from the prophet Micah that I want you to hear. And this is how he's calling us to live. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Okay, that's on the screen. All together, say it. All together. This is what God wants for you, to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Say it all again. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. One more time, it's what he wants you for. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And today, I'm beckoning you back to that place of you walking humbly with your God. Because for some of us, as believers, we've kind of gotten off track a little bit. We've gotten our, our heads off, spinning off on this other thing, and it's like God is calling us back to a place where we'd walk humbly with him. Because it can happen, can't it? We can get ourselves spun up big time around this big job, this big business, this big opportunity, this big thing. And that in and of itself isn't wrong. There's beauty and goodness in that. But your heart in it, he's calling you back to walk through that humbly with your God. And so for somebody today, it's like you're driving, you're speeding along, and there's a sign on the side of the road, and it's saying, uh, caution. <laughs> And so today, hear that word of the Lord, to walk humbly with your God. For somebody else, hey, the truth is, to walk humbly with your God, you would need to first acknowledge him. God, you are my God. And for somebody, that's the invitation today. The invitation is for you to say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You are my God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And he's identifying himself as the Savior, God in the flesh, so that one day some of us could finally determine, I can't do this on my own. I need God. And you turn to Jesus and you say, I acknowledge you as my God. And then you can walk humbly with your God. But I want to pray right now that for some of us that God would do the awakening that we need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the goodness of your word and thank you for the prophetic inclination in the, in the words of Micah. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good, what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. I pray, Lord, right now for somebody who needs, uh, who needs the corrective word. While we're praying together, listen, I believe this is a, a moment of prophetic correction for somebody. Just straight out of the Bible from Micah 6, 8, he's required of you to act justly. And for somebody, the truth is that, that you, you, you got some not just stuff that you've been working on. It's time to, it's time to quit that. You've been doing some shady stuff behind the scenes and other people don't know, but your heavenly father sees everything and it's like he, in his mercy and his love, he's saying, hey, I'm speaking to you. Do I have your attention? What I'm calling you to do is to act justly. And that's not just. What's going on over here? How, how you're doing that, this, that shady kind of a business deal or whatever it is. It's like God is saying, that's not 
going to work. And this is the prophetic corrective moment. So for somebody, it's like, wake up. He's calling you to, to change course. Act justly. Love mercy. Hear it. Somebody, while we're praying, the word from heaven for you is to love mercy. Because you've been, you've been done wrong, and there's something inside of you that's, that's working on how can I get back at them? How, how can I let them hurt the way they hurt me? How can I get the revenge? And it's like the Lord is saying, would you put that on the altar? Because I'm calling you to actually love mercy. That looks very different from what you've been thinking about. To love mercy. So just maybe right now you're sitting, you're praying, you're saying, Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to love mercy in this thing? What does it look like? And to walk humbly with your God. Lord, I pray that uh, you would do that wonderful work of spiritual awakening that for somebody, this would be the moment to finally say, I want to walk humbly with my God. I want to know Jesus as my Savior, my God. And while we're praying together, if you're sitting here saying, I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life, this is a moment where you can say, Jesus, would you forgive me and save me? And he will create in you a new heart. You will be born again. This is his idea of what he wants for you. Not that you would just figure out how to try harder to be better. No. He wants for somebody for right now to be the moment where you will be born again. The old you dies and a new you born in Christ Jesus comes to life. And that happens when you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus and say, I can't hide anything, but here I am. Forgive me and save me. It's what he longs to do. But for somebody, this is the moment for that to take place. While we're praying together, God, I pray you do that spiritual awakening that, that will change somebody from the inside out. And so while we're sitting and praying together, if you're sitting here going, that's me, that's me. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me, to save me. Right now, I want you to raise your hand with me. Just raise it up high. This is you finally saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to ask him to forgive my sin and save my life. And just keep your hand up if that's true for you. I see you. And if there's anybody else, I don't want to miss you. Right over here on my right. Thank you. Keep it up for a moment. If there's anyone else, raise your hand right now if you want to say, I want to be right with God. I want to ask for the gift of forgiveness of my sins. And raise your hand high. Keep it up. And if you're joining me online, you could just type it in to the comments and simply say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And then right now, several of you with your hand raised, you pray with me. Something like this, you say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can say it with me, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And just say to him, I, I repent of my sin and ask you to forgive me. I believe that you're the son of God and I confess that you are Lord of my life. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive. So would you come and take my life, Jesus? I wanna be born again. Just say it to him, I want to be born again. I want the old to be gone and the new to come. Jesus, I'm yours. And you can just say that to him. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus Christ, I'm yours. Thank you for this gift of new life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, God. I praise you for your goodness in my life. I praise you for your mercy. Would you all just begin to say, I praise you, God. 
I praise you, God, for your faithfulness to me. I praise you, God, for your loving kindness towards me. Just say it to him. I praise you, God, for him. What is it? I praise you, God, for showing me the way when I felt lost. Just say something. Fill in the blanks, church. I praise you, God, dot, dot, dot. What is it? Say it out loud. I praise you, God, for, for comforting me when I was worn out. God, I praise you, God, for giving me strength to keep going. Come on, church. Praise him a little bit. Just lift your voice. Like, actually open your mouth right where you're sitting, if you would, if it would be authentic for you. Do you have anything to praise him for? Could you say, God, I praise you for, name something. God, I praise you for delivering me from demonic affliction. God, I praise you for setting me free from addictions. God, I praise you for opening heaven for me because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection. I praise you, God. Somebody just say it out loud. I praise you, God. Would you stand up? Stand up and say it again. I praise you, God. Just begin to lift your voice and tell him, I praise you, God, for being good to me. I praise you, God, for providing richly for me. I praise you, God, for giving light where it was so dark. I praise you, God, for healing my body. I praise you, God, for giving me the family I have. I praise you, God, for giving me strength to do my job. I praise you, God. I praise you, God. Just shout it out. I praise you, God.